Welcome to the latest episode of High Stakes. I'm Paige Soya, Managing Director of K Street Capital. This is our second episode that we've done with just our internal teams. This time we wanted to share with founders just from us, like from us who are looking at deals every day of the week and provide some feedback for founders. So I'll start. Can you give us an overview of what the K Street Capital Due Diligence Committee specifically looks for when assessing startups for potential investment? Yeah, I'll take that question. We start with the basics. You know, we're seed stage, series A stage investors. So that's the the stage of company that we're looking at. Companies that prove in product market fit, you're going to hear that from us a lot. Um, what does that mean? Six to 12 months revenue attraction, at least. Companies that have a clear path to profitability. So we're, you know, very interested in unit economics and we pair those with our investment thesis, focusing in regulated markets coming from our long history as an angel syndicate network. And we have a very robust network here in Washington, D.C. And we do have a focus in, in sectors. It's more of a preference. There are some exceptions to it, but we really like climate tech, fintech, cybersecurity, and the cross-section of AI. And I'll also just add like, Reading on that, we do invest in health tech, ed tech, and other regulated markets as well. But we really just stay away from anything that's um, heavy infrastructure cost or anything that's like FDA approval, pharma, medical devices. We usually we don't have expertise there, so we don't we don't look at companies in that space. And I'll also just add, like, we really care a lot about the founders. So a founder that's a, a second time founder or a multi time founder or has relevant experience in the space that makes them the right person to lead the company that matters a ton to us. And we look for really big markets. So we don't we, we obviously it's venture capital. So we want to make sure that the market isn't super niche, but one where they can grow to become a, a category leader. So I'll stop there. Yeah. And this episode, the theme is the do's and don'ts. So Paige covered a little bit of uh, what we don't look for, but James, give us a little bit more detail about that. Yeah. So you know, building off you know, the comments that Paige was making and you know, to an extent what you were saying as well, Nick, we, as a result, are generally avoiding high CapEx firms, you know, startups with large manufacturing hardware expenses and realistically consumer retail with low margins and that sort of highly competitive consumer space. You know, it's not in some situations, obviously we will, we'll look at those type of spaces, but generally speaking, that's a type of places that we, you know, avoid. We're also usually avoiding low runway companies and for firms that have high burn rates. We're also typically avoiding pre-stage enterprise companies, I like to sort of think about it as we're kind of trying to find it right around that traction inflection point. You know, as sometimes we talk with founders, we typically see it around six months worth of revenue, but generally we're trying, you know, we're not necessarily looking for just pre-stage ideas. I agree. So, you know, talking a little bit about founders, when founders are looking to secure funding, how important are the first impressions and what can they do to ensure that they're getting their interactions with investors on the right foot? Yeah, so a couple of things. I think the the deck is super important. I mean, VCs get so, we get so many, we get a ton of deal flow of limited time to sort through and find the ones that we think are the best. And so if your deck really resonates with us and it's clear what you do, then then there's a much higher chance that we're going to be interested in the company and and move forward with it. And so I think just just making a very clear, concise deck that illustrates your company's 
value proposition and doesn't use a lot of industry-specific jargon or a lot of abbreviations, you want to make sure that it's something that can be understood all the way throughout and the business model and all of that. And that's really what matters to us when we're looking at those decks. So there's a lot of decks that may be great companies. We just have no idea what they do. We can't tell from reading the slides. Um, and then the other thing is is just, you know, I mean, this probably goes without saying, but we get inundated by companies looking for funding, especially now. And if you are referred to us through one of our co-investors or one of our LPs or someone in the K Street network, usually we will at least take a closer look at it than we would if it just came in cold. And I think that's true for all VCs, but we have a lot of deal flow partners that we have a ton of respect for and we, we get really great recommendations from and, and that certainly helps. So with all of that deal flow that you have coming in, you know, based on all that experience, what are sort of the common first impression blunders that you see? <laughs> Yeah, I'll take that. Um, the blunders, uh, you know, it's, we, we spend a lot of time in, in our deal flow pipeline and there's a, a lot of companies looking for, for capital. So we have this due diligence process that we filter through and then we have an introductory call. And I say that the biggest blunder is like when you come to that call, I'm prepared. We're, we're both sharing that time together and not having your deck organized, not having your pitch smooth and coherent, um, and not really presenting the problem you're solving, how you're solving it, and how you're the person to solve it, um, give us that conviction. Uh, you're really just doing yourself a disservice. You're going to be passed along. And um, we hate to see it because we had interest in your company. So come prepared. Yeah. Also, I would just say, like, ask about K Street because. If you aren't asking about us, then it feels a little bit like you'll take money from anyone and that's not good, right? Like you want to make sure you're being strategic about who these partners are. And and we want to make sure that that's something you care about in this process and that we're the right fit for you because that obviously we're not the right fit BC for all companies and 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 that's important. Yeah. Uh, and And with that, you know, what really makes a good pitch? James, um, I know you've been in this process with me doing our deal flow diligence. Um, what really sticks out to you is a, a good pitch that we are going to push through our process. Well, I mean, the you know, pushing through the process, there's elements of the unit economics and so forth and the idea behind the, the company. However, when we're talking like the pure pitch, in my mind, there's two distinct but equally important factors that I think that you both sort of discussed a little bit in that last section where it's the story or the narrative and that's the discussion and then the deck itself and like we as a group notice when those two pieces interact well and when they diverge right if the deck you know isn't really clear what the value prop is then you're going to start having these presentations where it's not entirely clear when you consider the number of companies that we as a group evaluate if you have that type of disconnect, it creates a problem in terms of really understanding the value of the company. Like remembering, founders should remember that the audience, there's always going to be a bit of an understanding gap because you're the founder who's closest to the idea versus these third parties that have only had so much time to evaluate your offering. And so just understanding that and having those two parts of the presentation functioning well together, it takes a lot of skill. And so I think that we do notice when it happens. And another important thing that comes out of that that we notice is good time management. Something that we've danced around a little bit is that 
you only have so much time on that call and sometimes there's a really hard stop. And so if the first 15 or 10 minutes are spent in a general discussion, there's a lot less time to really get into the specifics that might help move your company forward. And so that time management portion and then understanding the elements of the presentation in your audience, I think, are like the key factors that put you in a better spot. That's a really good point. I, I fully agree. So, Paige, what would you say are common elements that are frequently overlooked by founders, maybe specifically in the pitch? Well, as you said, I, I like a clean deck. <laughs> um, but it, 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 is, it is important that the founder's story aligns with what is, you know, like what the narrative of the deck is and, and that sort of flow. But I think um, frequently overlooked, I think frequently overlooked is the founder themselves. Like there's a lot of founders we talk to who are fantastic, incredibly smart, incredibly hardworking, and they're the perfect person to be running the company that they're pitching. But there's not even a slide about their team at all or anything about them. Or maybe they they just say the, their name and that's it. And you don't know like any of their background or why they really are so, so perfectly suited for this company. And that's important to come through, I think, in those in that concisely, but in that meeting, um, in that first meeting. So and, would, and it should, yeah, go ahead, Nick. I was just going to say I would 1000% agree with that. You know, we can have this like really nice presentation the pitch is great but just overlooking like who you are and what your background is because you know that's a big part of where dollars are going it's it's believing in you and your ability to execute and and solve the problem why are you the right person to do it it's frequently plus, overlooked like, plus like we i mean we're investing at the early stage right in the seed or or early a rounds and that means we're going to be probably around you for like 10 years <laughs> You know, so it's important that we get to know each other, that we can work together well, and that uh, it's a good personality fit, I think. And and so that we want that to come across in that first meeting. In terms of financials, what are the key metrics and indicators you expect founders to be fully aware of and to present during their pitch? Yeah, uh, you could, again, you, you hear this from us a lot. We're, we're very interested in your unit economics. Uh, it's what are those your customer acquisition costs, your lifetime value, customer lifetime value. Um, what are your project profit margins? How are you incorporating your cogs into your margins? What's your revenue streams look like? And are they recurring or is it, you know, one-time service type revenue? And then, you know, further, how, what does your pipeline look like and the conversion of that? Um, from, you know, the beginning stage to uh, a client one. Uh, we're very interested in all those details. And another... Oh, yeah, go ahead, James. You go first. I was just going to say another high-level thing to remember, combining what Paige just mentioned of if seed stage means multi-year relationships, is that these financials don't exist in a vacuum. So we are going to be looking at this as the company matures through different stages. And so when we're talking narratives and story, if you make fundamental changes to how you sort of position and presented the company's financials, say, a year earlier, like always keep that in mind as you then engage like discussions in those subsequent rounds, because the financial information, we're looking at all of it over the life of the relationship, which tells, you know, a story as well. Yep, definitely. 
I'll also just say I did meet a founder once. He was a very successful founder. He told me that he could get any investor to invest just by sending them a one-page PDF document. And I was in, I was like, send me that document. I want to know what, in fact, I should put, we should post it with this podcast because I saved it. I'm sure Connor, Connor won't mind. But he was like, if you're a really great company and you have all of the a very clear picture of what you're doing, you should be able to put that one page together. And like, realistically, like that's what all VCs are trying to figure out in these first meetings and looking through this information is like, what are those top highlights that make this a win for my portfolio? How am I going to return my portfolio based on this investment? How do I believe in that? And if you, the founder, can pull that out and make it very clear right up front in the beginning of your presentation, that's like the most valuable thing I think that you can you can do. So anyway, I'll stop there, but but I will post that that document later. Uh, okay, I'm back. We got you. Coming in. I don't know what happened. Coming in okay. hot. Coming in hot. All right, Connor, you got the name drop. I, I sense maybe a uh, potential podcast guest in our future. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> James, question is for you. How should founders approach the topic of competition during their fundraising pitch? Oh, I think we, you know, you, you should always address the competitors that are in the space that you're, you know, operating in and you know, more specifically how you are differentiated. Like we typically see it as here are five different companies, here are attributes, and then you show a matrix essentially of what you offer that your competitors don't. And any strategic control points, moats, reasons you have superior execution to the alternatives, keep the focus on your product attributes while acknowledging that general competitor landscape, because as Paige talked about, you know, we're, we're as an investment group trying to understand this whole picture. And so giving us an understanding of who else is in the space and then where you think you sit really actually helps us move along and understand the business better and advocate for you better. Yeah. You know? And I, I just added that is like, let us know who your competitors are, because if you just say like, we're the only ones in the space doing this, um, most likely you're not. And we're going to find that out. And, and you should know that information. You should know who your competitors are. So. 100%. If you don't know and we have to go do it ourselves and find out later, that doesn't look good for you. <laughs> it comes off a little suspicious when you get, we're the only ones in this space. And that's certainly a red flag. So, you know, all of, all of that said with founders, what do you all find is the balance between confidence in the product and acknowledging the reality of the market, both competitors and financing? Yeah, so I'll take that. I, th I think that's various for all sorts of investors, but, but just from speaking from K Street's perspective, well, because we are more of, I would say, like late seed investors. So we we do care about traction and product market fit. Obviously, we also care about the, who the founder is, their background, and, and the confidence that is conveyed by the founder about their ability to execute in the space. Um, but there also needs to be some sort of factual evidence proving out you know, what they have, what they are telling us, I think is super important. So, and that's often the traction, right? Like it doesn't not necessarily revenue, but, but usually it is, or if there's other evidence, then you can point to that, but really just having the factual evidence to back up your business model and, and how you've gotten to this point that makes us believe that there really is product to market fit. That's sort of where we want to see that alignment, I would say. Yeah. Um, 
Paige, you mentioned this before. We're we're early stage investors, so we're often, you know, with our LPs for a very long time. We're also with our founders for a very long time. So with that, you know, fundraising is often about building long relationships. And how can founders cultivate a positive and lasting relationship with venture capital firms and investors? Such a good question. It's true for LPs too. So, I mean, I, I really do think there are, and I'll even say there are many founders who have pitched K Street, were not a fit, went through our diligence process and we didn't invest and came back later. And then we did invest, you know, a year later or six months later or whatever, when they had reached that point where we could see clear evidence of product market fit. Um, and I, And so I just think that because this has happened a number of times, it really isn't the end of the relationship if we choose not to invest in the company. And I think it's really important for founders to truly believe that. It's not, um, you know, like we will give you a clear answer, yes or no, and we will allow you to move on with your fundraise. We're not going to let string you along. But uh, but I do think when, you, when you've made material changes or progress and or you're on a different round, if you come back to us, we still look at those companies. We still track and look at those companies that we were interested in, that we almost invested in, but didn't. So I think that's important to know. And then also just in general, like if we're going through the process with a founder, being responsive and timely and respectful, you don't need to be like dropping everything to respond to our questions. But we have a very clear timeline for our investment process. And we have very clear dates for when we need things by in order to do our own due diligence on our end um, before we get to an investor committee meeting. And those dates are set in stone, those investor committee meeting dates. So it's super important to, to be aware that that we don't have flexibility on that. And, um, and, and that's important. Um, and then there was one other thing I was going to mention. So K Street's unique because we started out as a syndicate. So we have a syndicate and a fund. Syndicate has 100 investors in it. And networking with those investors, it really helps. Like when a founder comes to us and multiple of our LPs or investors, members of the syndicate have recommended them, have talked to them and, and believe in them and want to back them. That's a strong signal to us that we should take a really close look at this company because it's probably something that we might want to invest in ourselves. So just network, do your homework, and uh, and be responsive and timely. That'd be my advice. It's great advice. James, this question is for you. Are there common red flags or deal breakers that founders should be aware of when seeking funding? Yeah, I, I think Paige started to touch on sort of a really important one, and you can combine it with some other comments we've made during this discussion of, this is early stage investments. And so we're really looking at the founder and the founder's ability to execute on this idea that they have. And when you get non-responsive founders after the first outreach, or, you know, they're not prepared for the subsequent follow-up, right? You know, term sheets, the pipeline, data room, those are all types of things that I think in the majority of cases you're going to get asked for. Now, you can't predict all of the specific pieces of information that Paige sort of, you know, mentions. There's going to be you know, ancillary questions that we have, but you know the general blueprint if you've done your homework. And so you should be able to, if you're looking for funding, provide these different roadmaps to us that lets things keep going. And so when we have founders that delay or we don't hear from, you know, based on our requests, it always gives us a huge amount of pause just because of what, how we're evaluating the potential investments because it's not a mature company at that time. And then the other thing that obviously is a red flag, but I think probably doesn't get much traction is the sort of spray and pray strategy of just going to all VCs with your company without thinking about the fund thesis. 
obviously, occasionally we, we see companies come through asking, you know, which takes resources from us, but I also imagine takes resources from the company to submit the documentation and so forth, where it's it's not even remotely close to the right fit, right? It's perhaps manufacturing of medical equipment, right? Which is just not the K Street thesis. So it's also obviously a red flag when there's just a massive disconnect in terms of the the fund itself and what the the, the actual product offering entails. But I would say those two, two things come to mind. Yeah, that's a really important one. I think a lot of founders forget and think that the spray and pray is like maybe there's a chance with some of them, even if it doesn't say that that's something they invest in on their website. But And maybe that's true in a very small number of cases, but it's mostly just going to be a waste of time. So um, when founders receive feedback or even a rejection after a pitch, what's the best way to respond and how can they use that feedback constructively for future fundraising efforts? Yeah, I, I think this is actually a great question, um, maybe under the radar. But as you mentioned, there's a lot of times where we might not proceed with the company, but a year or two down the road, maybe even earlier, uh, that company resurfaces and we end up finding it is a good investment. So, you know, if if you get feedback from us and you kind of give us an FU, which I've recently just heard about another VC getting feedback from a founder actually saying that you're kind of just burning a bridge that is really going to spread around too. you know, VCs are really well connected. And that's another thing that we've been covering here is network, network, network. So we, we all talk and like Paige had mentioned before, you know, our, our hundred LPs that give us referrals, we value those referrals a lot. And so, you know, Th- thank, thank us for our feedback. Um, take it critically. We may just not be a great fit. Maybe your pitch needs a little fine tuning. Take it back to the drawing board and and come back to us another time, or just keep searching, keep plugging away. It's true. Also, we often make introductions to other VCs that are a fit for you better than us, and we don't do that if we get a very negative, nasty response when we when it's not a fit for us at that time. So, yeah. Something to keep in mind. So assuming you make it through that early gauntlet without cursing anyone out and you get interest (laughs) from a VC, what do you think founders need to know about negotiating terms, valuations, and equity? Are there any do's and don'ts they should be mindful of? So I think you need to understand term sheets. This is like super important. I can recommend you a book that I read when I was a founder. Uh, the author is Brad Feld, but the short book, it tells you all the like ins and outs of terms and term sheets for early stage companies. And you just need to know it. Like as a founder, you you can't rely on your lawyer. You can't rely on somebody else on your team. You just need to learn yourself what these things mean. Otherwise, you're not going to come to the table prepared to have a discussion about it. And even if you think you are, you're not going to understand it. And when you realize what it means two years later, it's it's obviously much too late. So that's a do. Also, don'ts is, is just understand the reality of what your valuation should be at the time when you're raising money, because obviously the environment impacts what VCs are willing to pay or, or what the valuation they're willing to invest in. And whether or not, the, considering the environment or not, there is a general fundamental way to go about this. And, and I think understanding what your valuation is relative to your traction, where you are in the market, where, what kind of IP you have, relative to comps and relative to future potential of the company is super important because if you can't justify your valuation, then how would we justify it? 
ourselves, right? So we we want to make sure that you you want to make sure that you understand that and can explain it. Otherwise, um, you, you're sure to get pushback. So for both of you guys, from all the pitches that you've seen, what's one piece of advice you'd give to founders to truly differentiate themselves and succeed in their fundraising journey? Yeah, one piece of advice, uh, I'd say just just be ready for the process. I think this podcast has done a great job of you know letting you know how we evaluate everything from first impression all the way to negotiating terms. Um, so yeah, my advice is, is be ready. Be ready. Yes. And have a clean deck. That would be my yeah. one. <laughs> cool. Um, yes. And yeah, go ahead, James. Yeah. In, in terms of succeeding in the fundraising journey, the thing that I think is the one thing I would say, which it's probably important to remember as the founder at all stages is just the importance of cash, 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 especially in this type of environment. Yeah, it's great advice. Yeah. You should have enough cash when you're fundraising. Otherwise, you're going to have your back completely against a wall as a founder. You will be taken advantage of. I mean, we don't do this, but you will be taken advantage of by other VCs. So just make sure you have enough runway to be able to go through a successful fundraise and 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 not be somehow forced to take terms that are are not the terms that you want. Cool. I think this was a great episode. We will post some information along with it when we release it. And uh, and thank you guys for being here. Yeah, thanks so much. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks.